around what midnight yeah or so uh, we heard a couple loud bangs tonight a shooting at a coquitlam apartment building leaves residents of a quiet neighborhood shaken plus it wasn't a gathering it was a protest questions and outrage after surrey rcmp shut down a seemingly safe protest to support indian farmers and overall it's really nice and crowds aren't that bad not good for BC resorts who say a proposed interprovincial travel ban could spell the end. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. One week after a drive-by shooting in a Coquitlam neighborhood, the RCMP are investigating another violent attack in the Tri-City. A large condo tower was evacuated overnight following an altercation that sent a woman to hospital. Kristen Robinson has more in tonight's top story. Emergency response team members and a dog team, part of a huge police presence after neighbors say a woman was shot at a Coquitlam condo. Around what, midnight? Yeah. Or so, uh, we heard a couple loud bangs. Residents of the Marquis at Lowheed Heights on the Coquitlam Burnaby border forced out by the noise, followed by frantic banging from the stairwell. We stepped outside and went into the stairwell, um, saw some blood, and then felt like at that point, you know, we should probably exit the building. Coquitlam RCMP say its major crime unit has taken over the probe into what happened. We actually saw the victim outside, um, you know, pretty pretty imme immediately after, and uh, so, you know, pretty graphic. Yeah. yeah, it didn't look like she was doing very well. Officers later led a man in handcuffs away from the scene. There have been five fatal shootings since late December, all believed to be linked to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. 28-year-old Dilraj Johal was shot to death in his Richmond condo January 9th, Days earlier, 29-year-old Anis Mohammed was slain at Steveston Park and Gary Kang killed at his South Surrey family home. 19-year-old Harmon Singh Desi and 14-year-old Tekel Willis also gunned down in Surrey after Christmas. Back in Coquitlam, police brought in a transit bus to accommodate building residents as officers gathered evidence at the scene. Hours later, a lone RCMP SUV, the only sign of the massive police response overnight. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And just a short time ago, police confirmed the attack was not gang-related, and a 21-year-old man arrested remains in custody. Well, like so many before it, a major demonstration was planned in Cloverdale today in support of farmers in India opposed to their government's legislation, laws they believe will seriously harm their livelihoods. But this weekend's planned rally was quickly scuttled by the RCMP, who say they were enforcing the public health orders against gatherings. Nadia Stewart reports. Countless supporters of farmers in India arrive at the Cloverdale Recreation Center only to be turned around by RCMP. An unexpected detour for both attendees and organizers. There was music, uh, speakers, uh, people lined up to basically present. An event flyer lists all of those lined up to give speeches and performances. Harwal Grawal says the plan was to have people stay in their cars while a transmitter broadcast everything over the airwaves. But RCMP, who knew of the event beforehand, had officers stationed at each entrance, 
telling prospective attendees the event would not be going ahead as planned, citing safety concerns, adding organizers did not have a permit. This one was actually going further than past organizing efforts by allowing people to stay in their cars. So it wasn't even a gathering. At least one prospective attendee received a ticket for a traffic violation. I could actually care less for the ticket. I'm just very upset that they're not letting us bring awareness of the issue that's happening. And this is a global issue. In the past, similar protests in solidarity with farmers in India have drawn large crowds. However, Surrey RCMP say 9 to 10,000 people were expected to attend on Saturday. And they were concerned about compliance with the provincial health order. They had the plans to do a stage, they had plans to have speakers, they had plans to have music. Uh, all that suggests more than just a protest, sounds like a festival. It sounds like they're trying to have people gather and um, they're calling it a protest and uh, trying to get away with it as a protest. In the end, what was supposed to have been a large show of support became a small protest relocated to Strawberry Hill. Organizers say they will continue to stand in solidarity for a cause that goes beyond a gathering in a parking lot. Nadia Stork, Global News. The Tourism Association of BC is pushing back against any suggestions of an interprovincial travel ban to stop the spread of COVID-19. That prospect came up this week after reports non-British Columbians continue to head to places like Whistler for non-essential reasons. As Paul Johnson reports, the tourism sector is already speeding downhill. Lining up for the first chair at Whistler Saturday morning. The lines are long and stretch well back into the village, but the length is deceiving. Take a closer look and you see the crowds are much thinner than normal for a Saturday in January because of social distancing and the health protocols being used to load the lifts and gondolas. Generally for us it would have been a really busy weekend. Uh, it's a Martin Luther King weekend. We, we normally see a lot of American guests up here. And as you can see the lines right now, we just don't have that volume of folks. Whistler Blackcomb spokesman Mark Rydell can confirm that while the mountains are well patronized this weekend, they're far from being mobbed. Well, they don't release exact numbers, and there's no way of knowing for sure how many meet a reasonable definition of local. It's clear that the border closures and no travel advisories are having an effect. Yeah, overall it's really nice and crowds aren't that bad. Super quiet, but I'm just riding magic chair with my son, so. Now, take a stroll away from the lifts and back into the village, and the situation is even more evident. What would normally be a bustling streetscape is quiet. Businesses tell us their sales are off more than 70%, and then there's the prospect of new restrictions. Amidst all this worry about how to manage travel in the midst of a pandemic, the BC Hotel Association has now come out calling on the Premier not to pursue anything like an interprovincial travel ban. They say their businesses are hanging on by a thread right now, and this would be crippling. Following a local doctor's recent calls for more travel bans, Whistler has been under the microscope even more, balancing the needs of a tourism-dependent economy against the threat of the virus. In Whistler, Paul Johnson, Global News. And quite the sight in Whistler overnight when a large building caught fire. Whistler Fire Rescue says a large home under renovation on Sunridge Drive suddenly went up in flames just after 11.30 last night. 
every firefighter in the municipality responded to the call, trying to stop the flames from spreading to two neighboring properties and a propane tank. It's believed the house is destroyed. Even some of the scaffolding surrounding the building melted in the fire. The fire chief says that it's too early to know how it started, but does not believe it's suspicious. Burnaby RCMP are asking for the public's help to identify the suspect in a pepper spray attack following an apparent road rage incident. It happened just before noon on Tuesday, December 29th. Police say the suspect pepper sprayed two men in the 4100 block of McGill Street before fleeing in a white Ford F-150. It's believed the attack stemmed from an earlier lane change, which escalated to road rage. The suspect was wearing a black hoodie with the slogan, You dream it, we build it, on the back. Residents in Kelowna are recounting some alarming encounters recently. They're reporting suspicious activity at a number of properties in the Rutland area, including one home invasion. Darian Matassa-Fung has more. I wasn't even in bed five minutes and somebody rang my doorbell and um, opened my door and walked right in. Some Kelowna residents are saying there's been a massive increase of suspicious activity in their Rutland neighborhood, with numerous men knocking on doors in the middle of the night asking for money and one instance of a man even intruding into someone's home. The incident leaving the homeowner shaken. Fear, like just, I have two little girls sleeping in there. I didn't know him, so I have this huge guy standing, and I'm huge to me, I'm really small, right? But it was intimidating, it was like terrorizing, it, it was uh, intrusive. Cherry Brown says she called the cops immediately, but says they were unable to catch the man. I've only been living here for a couple of years. This whole neighborhood in the last year to six months for me has just gone to hell in a handbasket. And on the very same night that Brown's house was invaded, there were two other incidents in her neighborhood. We had someone ring our doorbell at quarter to midnight, and it was a man. So I woke my partner up and got him to answer the door. We answered the door and he informed us that he, his car broke down and he was $30 short for a tow truck. Janelle Laporte says they sent the man on his way without giving him money, then a short while later, they found a different man in their backyard. My partner went out our back basement door, and we have five stairs leading down to the door. And when he opened the door, he found someone sitting on the steps. I don't feel as safe. Our doors are now locked, every door and every window, not just at night, but during the day. We're quite vigilant. We're constantly asking if the doors are locked. Um, we are worried that uh, something else will happen. Theft, gas siphoning, and people walking on private properties, potentially canvassing for valuables, all being reported in the neighborhood on social media. Kelowna RCMP issued a statement. They said, this is certainly not the first instance we have had of someone going door to door trying to solicit money from people. Often it's a story that their vehicle broke down or that they need money for a medical reason. They also said to call RCMP if there's someone suspicious in your neighborhood. Darian Matassafung, Global News, Kelowna. A woman in the Kootenays is alive to tell the tale of how two trees came crashing through her mobile home on Wednesday, during Wednesday's storm. As Sarah McDonald reports, had the resident in Shore Acres between Castlegar and Nelson hesitated even a few moments, the ending of her story would be quite different. 
While the powerful windstorm that swept across the south coast Wednesday was a noisy nuisance for most of us, knocking out power to hundreds of thousands of customers. I heard a loud, 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 loud bang. It was almost deadly for Pamela DeRosa, who somehow survived this. A massive tree starting to topple while DeRosa and her dog were sleeping inside, slicing her home right in two. Literally right through there, that, that is my boyfriend's pillow. With her partner not home, DeRosa and her four-legged companion escaped just in the nick of time, watching sparks fly from power lines as the tree fell with what could have been fatal force as she scrambled to get to the safety of her car. As soon as I opened the front door, the tree had become, the tree had come crashing and it tore the power lines right off the house and all I saw were sparks. Neighbors like Julie Lamacraft saw the sparks and the swaying trees too. The trees came this way and then I ran to the front of my home and the tree came down towards my living room, so I ran back into my hallway and then the tree swayed this way. While lightning may never strike the same place twice, it appears that trees do, at least in this case. A second tree crashing down right onto the rest of DeRosa's home, this time while she was a safe distance away. That one landed in our second bedroom. Thankfully, there was no one else in that bedroom. Um, so yeah, our house has no bedrooms. And as you can likely guess, the entire place is now considered beyond repair. DeRosa and her partner now without a home, but they've gained a remarkable story of survival to tell and the pictures to show for it. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Some animals are enjoying some well-deserved TLC. Members of North Island Wildlife Recovery near Arrington posted these images after a little western screech owl was found injured on the side of the road. It's believed it was likely involved in a collision of some sort, leaving it with an injured wing and a head injury. They're hoping it will pull through. So are we. And then there's this. A catastrophe was avoided in Victoria earlier this week when a cat got stuck underground. <laughs> I heard the little... Aww. When Willow went missing in her home, the Victoria Fire Department was called. The cat had crawled down a basement drain and was hiding, or stuck, we're not sure which, two meters down a pipe. Firefighters were able to break through the concrete and save Willow. After a trip to the vet... The cat is recovering just fine. A volcano eruption in Indonesia has sent smoke and ash more than five kilometers into the sky. No immediate evacuations have been reported, but people living near the eruption site are asked to stay on high alert. The country has nearly 130 active volcanoes, more than any other country. With the surprise announcement Friday that planned shipments of the Pfizer vaccine will be cut in half over the next month, provincial health authorities are spending the weekend readjusting their vaccine rollout plans. As David Aiken reports, that may mean delaying the required second dose for those who've already received their first Pfizer shot. The problem is in Belgium. That's where Pfizer-BioNTech makes all of the vaccines that are shipped to Canada and most European Union countries. Pfizer needs to upgrade its plant in Purs, Belgium, so it can sustain higher production rates of its vaccine for the long term. But for the short term, that means Canada and EU countries are getting just half of their planned Pfizer deliveries for the next four weeks. But late Friday, Pfizer-BioNTech issued a statement saying, 
we will be back to the original schedule of deliveries to the European Union beginning the week of January 25th. That would be just a one-week cut in shipments rather than four weeks. But it's not clear if Canada, too, will be back to regular shipments of Pfizer-BioNTech in just one week. Procurement Minister Anita Anand called Pfizer-BioNTech on Saturday, but her office said there is no change to the planned four weeks of cutbacks in shipments. Pfizer and BioNTech did not respond to requests for clarification. In any event, any delays in a Pfizer-BioNTech shipment could be a problem for those jurisdictions, including many provinces in Canada, that did not reserve the required second dose for those who have already received their first dose. Pfizer says the second dose should be given between 19 and 28 days after the first one. But now, some provinces will extend that interval as long as 42 days. That is the maximum recommended by the country's chief public health officers. Waiting longer than that for the second dose could reduce the vaccine's effectiveness. In the meantime, the rollout of the Moderna vaccine should continue uninterrupted. Canada received 171,000 doses of that vaccine this week and is expecting 230,000 more Moderna doses in the first week of February. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. Big box stores in Ontario are now facing more scrutiny to follow COVID-19 safety protocols. According to officials from the Ontario government, about 50 ministry inspectors, as well as local bylaw and police officers, are visiting big box stores in COVID hotspots, including Toronto, Hamilton and Peel this weekend as part of an enforcement blitz. Officials aim to ensure workers and patrons are wearing masks, maintaining physical distance and following all health and safety measures. Workplace health and safety inspectors will have the authority to ticket supervisors, employees and patrons who do not comply with safety requirements. They can also temporarily close a premise and disperse groups of more than five people. Toronto police were at Young and Dundas Square in an effort to ensure people were following the province's new stay-at-home order. Police were present for an anti-lockdown protest that takes place weekly in the square. It's not yet known how many people were arrested or fines issued. It may be the closest thing to combining religion with science. A cathedral in central England has been transformed to a place of, from a place of worship into a makeshift vaccination center. The medieval building saw a large group of people, mostly over the age of 80, pass through its doors Friday to receive the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. A local MP calls it the UK's most glamorous vaccination center. The UK government hopes to vaccinate 14 million people by mid-February. The more infectious COVID-19 strain first identified in the UK could become the predominant strain in the US in just a matter of months. According to the US CDC, as of January 12th, 76 cases of the variant had been identified in 10 states. But modeling data shows it could become predominant by March, potentially overwhelming the healthcare system nationwide. The agency recommends doubling down on wearing face masks and social distancing, as well as increasing vaccination efforts. The pandemic may reduce the average life expectancy in the U.S. That's according to a new study from the University of Southern California and Princeton University. It found due to the pandemic deaths, life expectancy at birth for Americans will shorten by 1.13 years to 77.48 years. 
That's the lowest life expectancy estimated since 2003 and the largest single-year decline in life expectancy in at least 40 years. And the numbers are even worse for the black and Latino populations. Just days before President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration, police in Washington, D.C. have arrested a Virginia man trying to get through a checkpoint near the Capitol building. 31-year-old Wesley Allen Beeler was found with fake inaugural credentials, a loaded handgun, and more than 500 rounds of ammunition. It's tense in the U.S. Capitol after the deadly insurrection earlier this month. Tens of thousands of soldiers are patrolling the streets of D.C. And to give you some perspective, by Wednesday, there will be more troops in the Capitol than there were in Iraq and Afghanistan combined. Jennifer Johnson reports. National Guard troops from Washington state are heading to Washington, D.C., as federal agencies order more troops deployed to protect the nation's capital ahead of Inauguration Day. Our troops are going there to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Washington, D.C. looks like a war zone, with at least 25,000 soldiers patrolling the city. The Coast Guard is battle-ready on the Potomac River. Miles of fencing and barbed wire surround the Capitol. The day will be like no other. For the first time in U.S. history, the National Mall, where hundreds of thousands of people usually watch the event, will be closed. Most metro rail lines have been stopped. Airbnb has canceled all D.C. reservations. Every street leading into the Capitol is barricaded. I'm sad about it. I have to tell you that it, that it looks that way. Uh, I'm committed uh, to making sure that we, we get our city back. As part of Inauguration Day festivities, the Canadian Embassy usually hosts a celebration for foreign dignitaries. That, too, has been canceled due to the pandemic and security concerns. Many D.C. residents are worried. I don't know what to expect other than I'm just afraid someone or many people are going to get killed. President Trump is refusing to abide by tradition and will skip the inauguration. As staff starts to move out, the president remains quiet at the White House ahead of his Wednesday morning departure. Aides are considering an elaborate send-off with a red carpet, military ban, and 21-gun salute. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. Federal prisons across the U.S. are on lockdown in the run-up to the inauguration. Reportedly went into, that reportedly went into effect at more than 120 federal facilities at midnight. The Bureau of Prisons says the lockdown decision is precautionary and no specific information led to it. A possible reason, however, for this new nationwide lockdown is due to the Bureau moving some of its special operations response teams from prison facilities to Washington to bolster security ahead of the inauguration following last week's riot at the Capitol. And Global News will have live coverage of the, inaugur the inauguration from Washington beginning at 8 o'clock Wednesday morning. In Health Matters tonight, the flu looks to be remarkably absent from the province so far this year. The BC Centre for Disease Control says about 30,000 tests for the influenza virus have been conducted between the end of September through the first week of January. So far, just seven people have tested positive for flu. Overall, it says there is no indication of the virus circulating in BC or elsewhere in the Northern Hemisphere, for that matter. By contrast, over the same period during the past five flu seasons, an average of 7,000 tests have been carried out, with about 1,000 influenza cases detected per season.
Science researchers at Yale are zeroing in on what triggers food allergy reactions. They say the body has built-in food quality control systems that react to toxins. Researchers found that over time, the human body has been exposed to processed foods, hygiene products, and antibiotics that now the gut may react to and produce as though they are toxins. An iconic Nova Scotia landmark is getting a viewing platform. Plans are underway to build a large viewing platform to improve access to the picturesque lighthouse at Peggy's Cove. It will also prevent people from venturing onto the rocks when the storms roll in. The $3.1 million deck is expected to be completed by the end of June. The wood and concrete structure will include steel guardrails that look like fishing nets. The lighthouse and nearby fishing village attracted more than 700,000 visitors in 2018, and they will be coming back. A Fraser Valley Winery's idea to get you out of the weather and into the tent, or the domes, as it were. We'll have that story for you right after Yvonne's forecast. And I noticed when I looked outside, Yvonne, it was it started to rain this afternoon, as predicted. Yes, uh, we are tracking some wet weather. If you were up early enough this morning, though, it was dry out there. The sunshine trying to make an appearance. A beautiful shot. This one captured Jericho Beach, so thank you so much, Al. And yes, it is going to be wet this evening. The precipitation is going to intensify, especially as we get overnight and then ease off once again for tomorrow. Here's the wave of rain that we're seeing on the satellite and radar. A few heavier pockets across the island. We'll see it for Metro Vancouver, so really the heaviest rain will be late this evening and then easing off through the morning hours. Temperatures are sitting at 7 currently. We've got a northeasterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. Now here's what we're looking at on the future cast. So putting it into play late evening, some of the heavier precipitation by tomorrow morning. It'll be mainly cloudy, drizzle, light precipitation, showers for most areas, and then it'll dry out by the afternoon, but we'll still see a fair bit of cloud cover, so a heads up. And then on Monday, a nice clearing break is on the way. Monday looks to be one of the nicest out of the bunch, and then it is going to get cold into next week, and I'll have that long-range forecast in just a moment. A quick glance, though, if you're traveling along the mountain passes, snow developing this evening, continuing heavy at times for the morning hours and the lighter towards the afternoon. Rogers Pass with anywhere between 10 and up to 15 centimeters, and the Pine Pass could climb up to 10. If you're heading to Whistler along the Sea to Sky, it's near Brand wine that could get up to five centimeters and areas near the village could be wet snow and then changing back over to rain through tomorrow. Now the northern half of the province will be still seeing that wet weather. The wind warning has ended for areas near Haida Gwaii but still very breezy this evening 16 up to 80 for a few spots and then tapering off overnight. Inland could see a few wet flurries. It'll be similar across the central interior, much of the southern interior. So a heads up this evening we've got snowfall along the mountain passes, the valley bottoms. Check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions and then easing off through the day tomorrow. We'll start to see some breaks for Whistler by the afternoon with drier conditions in all areas across the south coast. So we'll see that rainfall this evening, heavier at times, so it'll be late tonight. Through the morning hours, drizzle for most areas across Metro Vancouver. Highs tomorrow will be up to 8 degrees. It'll dry out as we get in towards the evening. We've got a beautiful day ahead, and that looks to be on Monday. And as we get in towards next week, temperatures are going to be cold enough, especially our overnight lows. We could be looking at a few flurries in the mix and colder as we get in towards next weekend. Colleen? All right. 
Great. Thanks so much, Yvonne. A Fraser Valley winery is toasting a new way for patrons to enjoy their vintages, rain or shine. On Friday, Single Tree Winery in Abbotsford started taking reservations for their Divine Domes, where you can hold intimate wine tastings inside one of two transparent outdoor domes located outside their tasting room. It allows for groups of up to six people from the same household or single people with a maximum of two. But if you are hoping for a Valentine's booking, you're already out of luck. We're fully booked up for Valentine's Day already, just as with launching it yesterday. Our tasting room is reduced capacity because of COVID. And this is actually a temporary tasting area that's been approved by the liquor board. So we've been able to do an experience with these domes. With last year being COVID-19 and stuff, we, we did stay pretty much in our place the entire year. Yeah. And so now with, you know... Nice it's, to get out for the day. Yeah, and have an actual like day date for us. Yeah, yeah. And just be in a ironically a bubble. <laughs> the domes can be reserved Wednesdays to Sundays with a dinner option on Fridays and Saturdays. There is a minimum cost of fifty dollars per person. That's a great idea. Mm -hmm. Nice. Could drink bubbly in the bubble, I suppose. Yeah. If you, Good. Point. If you chose to go with champagne. No. Mm -hmm. But why not? They play hockey in a bubble. Why not drink in the why bubble? Why not drink it? Exactly. <laughs> what have you got coming Although up? Although you could do it hockey. anywhere. Just yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Busy, busy day. Canucks, speaking of hockey, are in Calgary tonight to continue uh, their road trip, playing some old friends tonight. Uh, Chris Tanev, of course, Jacob Markstrom, former Canucks. They're members of the Flames now. First time they'll meet. We'll hear from them. Uh, it's NFL playoffs. A couple of games going on. We'll have highlights of those. And Nick Taylor of Abbotsford in the hunt for another PGA Tour victory in Hawaii. We'll have highlights of his third round as well. It is busy. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks, Barry. A whole bunch of new products were unveiled this week at the virtual Consumer Electronics Show. Many of them cater to our new pandemic world, and many will be around after the pandemic is over. Face mask fashion is getting a high-tech upgrade with Razor's Project Hazel. It's cool to wear. It's super social. It's super safe. This clear N95 mask prototype has lights and a built-in speaker to prevent muffled conversations. In order to move forward, we have to adapt to our surroundings. Another for enhanced communication, the mask phone, which is exactly what it sounds like. You have a microphone inside the mask so you can be easily heard on a conference call. AirPop is launching its Active Plus mask this month with a sensor that tracks breathing and air quality or grab a purse-sized air purifier, such as the Luft Duo. LG has some products too. They have mini air purifiers. So if you're concerned about just your environment at home and you want to bring one from room to room, there are much smaller solutions available than there have been. In addition to gadgets that purify and sanitize, more companies are integrating touchless features into everyday devices. This new Kohler toilet has hands-free flushing. And this no-ring doorbell from Alarm.com works with a weight-sensing doormat. There's even the Eddy doorbell that reads temperature. It would be good for either high-traffic environments or even just on a personal use. New products shaping a COVID-conscious era of technology. Liz McLaughlin, NBC News. Do you know someone who has overcome adversity? Consider nominating them for the 23rd Courage to Comeback Awards. Every year, the awards pay tribute to those who have overcome overwhelming challenges and given back to the community. Nominate today. Right now, one in three Canadian school-aged kids might be at risk of trying to learn while hungry. 
Help change that by donating to hashtag Toonies for Tummies at participating grocery stores or online. 100% of your donations will help feed hungry children right here in our community. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. Barry's here with sports, and I have to tell you that even my friends who don't watch hockey are watching hockey right now. Well, it's uh, interesting, especially with all these Canadian matchups. Uh, every game seems like it's uh, special, and mm-hmm. uh, lots going on uh, in this first week, and hopefully the Canucks can get it going tonight in Calgary. Thanks, uh, Colleen. The Canucks will be going head-to-head with former teammates Chris Tanev and Jacob Markstrom tonight in Calgary. Can toss in Josh Levo as well, as he too signed on as a free agent with the Flames in the offseason. Markstrom and uh, Tanev played nearly 800 combined games for the Canucks, but now they are on the other side of the Calgary-Vancouver rivalry, and they'll get to know it well this season with the Flames and Canucks meeting 10 times in the All-Canadian Division. It's going to be different for sure to, to see that jersey, but you know when the puck drops, it's uh, my job to to make sure the puck stays out of the net. Oh, I mean, I no, I, I love all those guys, but I mean, it's I just want to win. To be honest, that's what that's what I want to do the most. Um, played with a lot of those guys for a long time, and um, it's going to be a competitive game. I think both sides coming off losses, it's going to should be a quick, fast tempo game, and I, and I know we're going to be excited for it. I mean, I've been in touch over the summertime and stuff like that, but uh, I mean, it's going to be different now when we play, you know, almost like a playoff. We play two games and then, you know, later this year, we're going to play three, four times in a row. It's almost going to be like, uh, you know, a playoff, a mini playoff series. So then then it won't be much uh, conversations between games, but for sure after, you know, after the games, we'll we'll be talking, I'm sure, but, you know, during during the the miniseries there it's you know it's all business when we're on the ice Tonight also marks Travis Hamannick's first return to the Saddle Dome. Hamannick uh, injected right into the Canucks lineup despite not having much, if any, of a training camp. He skated this past Monday and Tuesday, and that was it. Laced him up Wednesday and Thursday against the Oilers, and according to Travis Green, has been pretty good. I thought he was good both games. He was solid. He's it's been he's only been on the ice. Well, I don't know. I guess four days with our team, <clears throat> so uh, you know it's going to probably take a little time before we see him at his absolute best. A little strange this last uh, couple weeks, but um, I'm excited. Uh, you know, I'm 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 really happy to be a Canuck. I'm grateful for the opportunity, and um, yeah, it's it's I, I have a lot of fond memories of playing in this building, both both when I was with the Islanders and obviously as a as a flame. So uh, it'll be exciting. Uh, it'll be good. And uh, pretty early on in the season that it's going to be a pretty important game. Well, another COVID concern in the NHL in Canada this morning, the Winnipeg Jets canceled their practice due to a potential exposure to COVID-19. Jets opened their season on Thursday at home against Calgary. They are scheduled to fly to Toronto tomorrow to play the Leafs on Monday. NHL tonight, Connor McDavid coming off that hat trick versus the Canucks, taking on the Montreal Canadiens. Former Canuck Tyler Toffoli on the breakaway, but stopped by Miko Koskinen. Toffoli still looking for his first goal as a Hab. Habs power, a former Oiler Jeff Petrie on the Hab power play, gloves the puck to himself. That's legal, he can do that. What a play by Petrie. I'm not sure if he meant to do it, but it worked out well. one nothing Habs. Brendan Gallagher, former Vancouver Giant. Nice play at the blue line, leads to the rocket from Thomas Tatar. 2 nothing Canadians. And then while the Canadians are shorthanded up 3-0, Jake Evans 
First shot stopped, pops in the rebound, and the Habs, this has just gone final, have beaten the Oilers 5-1. to one. Leafs and Senators, Ottawa beat Joe Thornton's team 5-3 last night. 41-year-old Joe gets his first as a Leaf, wires the wrister off the assist from Mitch Marner. Thornton can shoot it, he just doesn't do it that often. 1-1 one, one after 1, early second, off the draw. It'll be Mitch Marner will fire it past Matt Murray. 2-1 at that point, and the Leafs have beaten Ottawa 3-2, so Toronto's 2-1 on the young season. Well, it has been about 11 months since Nick Taylor went wire to wire to win the prestigious Pebble Beach Pro-Am for his second PGA Tour victory. Since then, Taylor's not really contended, but that changed yesterday during round two of the Sony Open in Hawaii when Taylor fired a career-low 8-under-62 to shoot himself into the lead at the midway point of the tournament. Sure. Began the day with a two-shot lead, but couldn't get out of neutral early. Seven straight pars out of the gate. That won't get it done. Everyone was making birdies. Kevin Nye. And 9-under-61 shot up to the top of the leaderboard at minus 16. As for Taylor, finally will get his first birdie after eight straight pars. Little four-and-a-half-footer on nine to get to 13-under. And then at the 10th, second shot on the par four, the short par four. Beautiful chip shot to within four feet. Nick would make that birdie. So uh, within two now at 14 under, 12th hole, Nick starting to dial it in with those irons from 111 yards out. Looks nice. That is nicely done to five feet, would make that for birdie. Third birdie in a four hole stretch, gets to 15 under, one off the lead, but in front of him, players like Brendan Steele continuing to put the pedal down. That's a birdie at 17. He also shot a 61, matching Nas' score. He's at 18 under, so a new leader. Taylor responds at the 15th. He did make a bogey on the tough 13th, but rattles in this birdie oh, to get within three with three holes to go in his second round in Hawaii. We'll have complete highlights tonight at 11. NFL playoffs. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers from Lambeau Field. A mild day for Green Bay in the middle of January. Plus two Celsius at kickoff. Second quarter. Rodgers, who threw 18 of his 48 touchdown passes to Devontae Adams in the regular season, hits Adams here from one yard out. 10-3 Packers. That's a nicely drawn-up play. Then later in the quarter, Rodgers doing it himself. Check out the move, the fake, and then the take in for the touchdown. 19-10 Green Bay at the half. But the Rams hung tough. Rookie Cam Akers with a gritty touchdown run, reaches for the goal line and gets in for the touchdown, and they go for two. Now, here's a little bit of imagination. Maybe the Seahawks could take note here. A little hook and lateral. Akers takes it in. It's a seven-point game, 25-18. But Aaron Rodgers responds like he always does. Play action then goes up top to Alan Lazarda. Tremendous 58-yard touchdown, 38-2-18, the final pack win. They're on their way to the NFC Championship. In the AFC, Buffalo leads Baltimore 3-0 late in the second. NBA tonight. Raptors looking for a two-game sweep of the Charlotte Hornets from Toronto's home base in Tampa. Montreal's Chris Boucher has been fantastic off the bench, averaging over 20 points the last four games. Hits the three ball here. Fred Van Vliet, we know he's dangerous from three-point land, but can also do this. Great body control by Fred on the drive. Raps led at the half, 66-64. And they're going to win. They do need some help off the bench, and they got it from Stanley Johnson here as he hits the three as the uh, Raptors do have the lead 104-99 with just a few minutes to go in the fourth. English Premiership, Jamie Vardy in Leicester City taking on Southampton. Foxes get the jump in the 37th. James Madison, uh, James Madison in alone 
hammers it to the roof of the net. 1-0 Leicester City stayed that way late into stoppage time. Leicester catch Southampton on the counter and Harvey Barnes showing some patience, chips it over the keeper. And they hop over Liverpool into second after the 2-0 win. Huge showdown tomorrow. Liverpool in first place, Manchester United. And World Cup bobsleigh from San Moritz, Switzerland. Race number 10 of 12 on the season. Justin Cripps uh, hopping into the sled for the first time this season. Just last weekend, for whatever reason, the reigning Olympic two-man champ has not had success on this course until today as he and Cam Stones won bronze in the two-man 17th World Cup two-man medal for Cripps and the seventh with Stones riding shotgun. But big hockey night tonight. Flames and Canucks will have highlights of that at 11. We're going to wrap up tonight with some stories about the great outdoors and places that are seeing snow right now. A man in St. Albert, not far from Edmonton, has found a creative way to pass the time during the winter months. Have a look at this. Dave Rudge describes himself as an avid gardener, but this winter he's turning his yard into a display of a very different kind. He's used snow to create sculptures of the entire Peanuts gang, and now he's working, as you can see, on the cast of Sesame Street. He says it's been a great way to get to know his neighbors in the process. It looks really good, but for me, it's been, uh, and for the, the community, it's been more a community social thing. I mean, uh, like I've said regularly, I know every dog walker on the, uh, on the street or in the neighborhood. I don't know their names, but I chat with them regularly. Isn't that nice? Rudge says that it takes about two days to complete the sculptures. Two days. My goodness. It's impressive. I haven't made a snowman for a very, very long time. It is tough to be in practice around here to make snowmen. A little yeah. bit. Down on the West Coast. We're rusty. A bit. We're yeah. very rusty. Okay, you might recognize or may not recognize these animals in this next story because they're a little grubby. Have a look at this. Hamish, Nobby, Sisu, and Luca have been wrestling in the snow at the Yorkshire Wildlife Park. The animals have also been having some fun sliding down the hill of their project polar enclosure. The park says this is one of the world's largest wildlife reserves with a focus on international conservation efforts to save polar bears. But oh my goodness, he's dirty. <laughs> Just dirty. Needs a shower now. Uh, and finally, proving you're never too young to try something challenging. Have a look. Boone is a 17-month-old snowboarder showing off some impressive skills at Seven Springs Mountain Resort in Pennsylvania. His parents started training him to in the house, getting him used to the balance. They bought a, a fabric cover for the board, attached it to a string, as you saw, and then they pulled him around. And they took him out to the slopes for the first time a month ago. Seems to have caught on just fine. Look at that. That is a little dude who Isn't can he? snowboard. Amazing. Watch out, Olympics, and who knows when. <laughs> yes, in a few years, exactly. That's the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan will be here at 11 o'clock. We'll see you back here tomorrow night. Good night.